So it's our real honour to ask Peter to come and speak this morning. Peter is finishing his role of eldership today amongst us from 30 plus years of eldership in this community and uh, he's going to come and bring a message. Can we just stand and honour Peter and Angela as Peter comes to speak? It's, it's Peter's way to always point at Jesus, and he's done consistently so for many years, but it's also right that as a family we honour both Peter and Angela. And um, what Peter's going to speak to us about today is really a foundation pad of who we are as a community together. So can we just pray? Mm-hmm. Father God, I thank you so much for Peter's ministry to us. I thank you for his faithfulness to honour Jesus above all things. And I pray that as he speaks to us this morning, we would receive by your spirit the power and the clarity to keep running the race for you, for your name, for your renown and your glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Al. Thank you all for your welcome. And thank you for your support, for allowing me to lead you for so long. Thank you for your prayers, for your friendship, for your giving, and all the different things that go together to make the family of God who we are together. And it's been a, a privilege and a, a precious thing to be, uh, to be with you. It's probably helpful to give a little bit of an update on our move, because I know Lots of you are asking about that. Um, we, have, we know that we heard God speak to us really, really clearly three times um, about relocating and going to be part of Hope Church in Ipswich. And uh, no, not, no, not going west, we're going east. And, uh, you know, when, when God speaks like that, then we do it, don't we? And it doesn't mean it's easy. Uh, some of it is not. doesn't even actually mean that we want to do it because when I first started talking to Angela about what I felt God had been starting to say, um, first response was, I don't want to do that. I don't want to leave here. And in many ways, I don't either. And that's still true. But our bottom line is, if God speaks and we know he's spoken, then we do it. And so that's what we're doing. And... uh, It'll be a while before we actually move house, I'm sure. We have agreed, agreed to sell to actually some first-time buyers just this week. Um, so we're very actively looking at the other end now. Haven't found anywhere yet. So it'll be probably sometime early next year, we guess, that we'll probably actually relocate. Um, so what do you say on what's going to be your final message as an elder after all these years? And uh, what really matters was the kind of phrase that went through my mind. And uh, if you've got a Bible with you, then turn to the book of Philippians in chapter 2. We're going to go primarily from there. Uh, Kind of prompted, in a sense, by what Paul says in in chapter 1. He's writing from prison to a church that he knows well, that he founded uh, previously. He's now in chains, literally, because of his faith. 
And uh, he writes to them. So you think, this is one of the things he says in chapter 1, verse 10. I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. And the way we live our lives really matters to God. And he is going to come back. That's what, those are the two things that that verse reminds us of. That we live in the context of the return of Jesus is coming. We don't know quite when, but we know as a fact it will happen. And he will wrap up this globe that we live on. A few verses later in chapter 1, in verse 20, Paul writes this. I trust that my life will bring honour to Christ. And that's what I've entitled this message, to bring honour to Christ, whether I live or die, he says. And I hope and trust that for all of us, to at least some measure, that is our heart's desire. That we want our life to bring honour to Christ. That's certainly what I want for my life, and I know Angela does too. And for many of you, for most of you, that will be also true. But, you know, for all of us, it's true actually kind of in part. There are some other bits that kind of creep in, aren't there? So other things that we kind of like to make sure are included in there in the mix uh, for our own sake. And uh, we'll look this morning at a little bit more of, well, what does it look like? How do we bring honour to Christ in our lives? So we're going to read together from chapter 2. And we'll begin at verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form... He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. I'm not sure whether that's quite true for us, but we'll move on. <laughs> and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I didn't run the race in vain, that my work was not useless. To bring honour to Christ. 
That's the father's goal, to bring honour to Christ. He elevated him to the place of highest honour. And in Isaiah 61, when there's description of the work of God in his people's lives, it ends up in one section with these words. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. And God is about restoring people's lives. That passage was prophetic not only for the people of Israel, but also for the the new people of Israel, if you like, the church of Jesus Christ on the earth today. And that applies to you personally, to each one of us, that our lives would display his glory to the people amongst whom we live and work. But also for us as a people together, that we will be the family of God, in the presence of God, displaying the glory of God. That's where our hearts are, isn't it? That's what we're after. We want our lives to count for his glory and our life together to count for his glory in this wider community. But how do we do that? What does it look like? Let's look at some things out of the passage that we just read. And the first one is one that we could easily have missed, I think. And it's this, to welcome him. See, God is a God who comes. We read in verse 7, he was born as a human being. He gave up the glory of heaven, his position there, and he relocated himself for 30-odd years on earth in human form, in a human body. He came as a human being. And when he came and walked this planet, some people received him, and to many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, the Bible says. But many people didn't receive him. Some passively and some very actively didn't receive him and rejected him. And the same is true, I think, today. That Jesus, you see, he still comes by his Spirit. He's still a God who comes. He loves to come. He loves to be with his people. His name, one of his names is Emmanuel, God with us. And yet there's this challenge for us about receiving him, whether we open the door to our hearts and lives to receive him by his spirit as he comes, or whether we're a little resistance. See, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 14, the spirit will bring glory to me. He will bring glory to Jesus. I don't know whether you've moved house recently or tried to sell a house recently, but obviously that's what we've been in the middle of. And so before people come to view the house, we've gone to great efforts to try to make it look its best and to fix things that need fixing and all that kind of stuff. That's what you do, isn't it? You prepare for the coming of people. God wants us to be prepared for his coming. If necessary, to go to great efforts. When people came to, to view our house a couple of weeks ago and we were spending time with them, they actually with us for an hour and a half, and asking lots of questions. But we had prepared. We were prepared for them to set the agenda. Just ask us questions. We'll tell you whatever you want to know. And we gave them time. And that's sometimes the challenge for us individually and collectively. Will we allow him to set the agenda and to ask the questions? Will we give him the time that he asks us for? Our journey as a church began 
in a sense, in, in that dimension, I would say in, in 1994 through 1997, when there was a, a significant outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you were here in, as part of this church when we moved in here in 1998? Can you just put your hand up? Yeah, so there's a handful. There were rather more in the first meeting. You've lived through decades with us on our journey. But if I just think back for a minute to that season, I think this is quite instructive for us. They will be able to tell you. There were times when, because of the presence of God's Spirit amongst us and the nature of what he was doing, and when he comes, there are seasons and ways in which he works at different seasons of life. So it's not to be expected. It's always the same forever. But in that season, there were a lot of people unable to stand and finding themselves on the floor because of his, the power of his presence. There were lots who burst out into laughter as the joy of the Lord was filling them afresh. And that's what they needed. There were others who burst into tears. And there were a lot of tears. There were others who were shaking, jumping up and down, spontaneously manifesting demonic spirits and needing to be delivered. There was all sorts going on. And it was very messy. Now, I'm not saying that as God comes, that's what it always looks like because he's a creative God and he does what he needs to do and he knows we need him to do at any one time. My question to you and my challenge to you is this on this point. If he comes in real power and presence again, will you receive him? We had the privilege of being able together as the people of God live through that season and actually not one person left the church because of it. Why was that? I think it was significantly because we really made effort never to hype anything. It was always about what he did, not what we were doing. And you said, what? what? <laughs> Nothing to do with me, it's him. <laughs> we're committed, aren't we? to pursuing God's presence. And it will always look different. It won't look the same. But Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, writing to a church, not to unbelievers, to a church, and he says, I'm, I'm knocking at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and have fellowship with him. Now that gives us a choice, doesn't it? Of either opening the door... Or not. It's a bit kind of frightening, really, that he gives us that opportunity to close the door or open it. And it wasn't written to unbelievers. It's written to the church. So the question is, what's in your heart? Are you willing this morning to say to him again, Lord, I open the door of my life to you. I, I want to welcome you, to receive you, and all that you want to do in me and through me, now, today, and in an ongoing way through my life. Do you know, the best thing about this is he is totally trustworthy. He is always for our good. And if I've learned one thing, it's that. We can trust him. And when you trust somebody, you can let them in. You can welcome them. You probably, many of you will have little spy glasses in your front door. So if somebody knocks at the door, especially in the dark, you can look to it and say, who is it? And if you know you trust them, you open the door. And if you think, 
I don't know who you are. You might decide not to open the door. But we can trust him, can't we? We know who he is. We can open the door and say, Jesus, welcome. By your spirit, come into my life, come into my heart. Come and take control. Be in charge. I'm yours, as, as we sang a little earlier. God has graciously put a residential anointing on us as a people, as Julian Adams prophesied some years ago. And it's true. Time and time and time and time again, people come amongst us and they say afterwards, God's here. That is so, so precious. And it's as we personally open our hearts and lives to him on an ongoing way that we will remain and retain that. So that's my appeal to you. I had the absolute privilege a few weeks ago up in the Outer Hebrides of being able to arrange to have some time with a gentleman called William, who is now 95 years old, but who was saved during a revival of Christianity in the 19, early, very beginning of the early 50s, 70 years ago. And I'd spoken to the pastor of the church during the midweek, and he said there are three members of the congregation still alive now who were saved in that revival, and he said there's something different about them. And when I sat down with William, I could feel it. I thought, this is extraordinary. And here's a man of 95 who 70 years ago had an encounter with, a profound encounter with God, and it marked him for life. And he's different. And I said to him, William, what was it? What was it? And he looked at me, and he just said one phrase, God in the midst. That was it. That was his answer. I thought, yes, Lord, your presence is so precious. May we always open the door, open our hearts, allow you to come in personally and together to do what you want to do, how you want to do it. Welcome him. It's the first thing in honouring him, bringing honour to Christ, is welcoming him. What's the second thing? Coming out of the passage is this. It's to imitate Christ. It's have the same attitude that Jesus had, he said in verse 5. And that's a pretty daunting prospect. We've got a little picture we can come up now. That's my grandson Barnaby, who's just turned three. You think, well, why on earth are you showing that picture? That is Barnaby being an Australian cricketer by the name of Mitch Marsh. If you bowled to Barnaby, it's all right, Barnaby, I'm going to bowl. He said, no, 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 not Barnaby, Mitch Marsh. Mitch Marsh. I'm, I'm not Barnaby, I'm Mitch Marsh. And he's, he was completely fixated on being Mitch Marsh and imitating him. So the Australians play in yellow, that's why he's got the yellow vest on, and for some reason a yellow hat as well. I'm sure he understands why he's doing that, I don't. But imitation. When you honour somebody and esteem them, revere them, you, he want, you want to imitate them. And so for us with Jesus, you can change the slide now, thank you. How do we do that? How we do that, the key is to embark on this extraordinarily daunting and in fact impossible journey to imitate Jesus. We can't do that. But in chapter 2 verse 13 that we read a few minutes ago, it says this, God is working in you. That's the key. Giving you two things. First of all, the desire 
And secondly, the power to do what pleases him, Paul says. And so he's not left you on your own. He's called you to this high calling of imitating Jesus, to bring honor to him by the way you live your life. But he hasn't left you to do it on your own. He's given us even the desire he gives us by his power at work in us. He gives us the desire to do it. And I believe he's actually regenerating some of that right now in your hearts. But he also then gives us the power to live it out. Thank God for that. He hasn't just left us to the impossible. We need to continually be receiving his spirit for that reason as well. One of the things it looks like in the passage, verse 8, to imitate Jesus is he says he humbled himself. He gave up the glory of heaven and he humbled himself. Let's make sure that we're not looking for the glory, that we are humbling ourselves consciously and deliberately. We're not looking for the recognition, the stardom, the attention, whatever it might be. We're not trying to be on the voice. You know, John the Baptist was asked, who are you? When crowds were following him, there's some stuff going on. Uh, and people said, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, no, no, I'm not Elijah. Are you the Messiah? No, 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 I'm not the Messiah. He was really clear about that. He was very clear who he was not. He didn't fall into the trap of just letting people believe he was more than he actually was. But he didn't do that. He did also say, I'm the one Isaiah prophesied about, preparing the way for the Lord. So he wasn't afraid to say who he was. We don't let the pendulum swim so far that we can't say we're who we are. But we stand on the ground also that says, I'm not that. And um, he said, one stands among you, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. You know, the more we consider Jesus, the one who stands amongst us, the more we look at him, the more we appreciate who he is and what he's like, the more readily we will humble ourselves because we realize who he is and who we are. That's a really helpful and important thing to do. That's we welcome him, we imitate him, and then thirdly, we obey him. He humbled himself, verse 8, in obedience to God, in obedience to God. And for Jesus, of course, it was even to death on the cross. But his mindset, if you like, was one of humble obedience. In Gethsemane, you know, he's having this conversation with his father before the cross. And he's saying to him, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, yours be done. And of course, the father said, that's not possible. You do have to go through with it. You know, there's only one reason that um, Andrew and I are moving to Suffolk. It's because God's told us to. It's just, there is no other reason. But you know what? The psalmist knew that obedience to God was the best way to live. If you look at, I'll read it to you so you don't need to turn it up, but it's one Psalm 119, verses 44 to 45, if you're making notes. And the psalmist says this, I will keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself 
to your commandments. See, that sounds like a contradiction. You think, well, if you're devoting yourself to God's commandments, that doesn't sound like freedom. That sounds like slavery. But the psalmist knew that the opposite was the case. And may we know the same. That actually, it's as we obey God that we find true freedom to be the people that God's made us and intended for us to be, doing the things that he's intended and made us to do as well. That's the true freedom, the fulfillment, if you like, of a human life, is fulfilling the will of God. And Jesus promised that this was the best way himself. He said this, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. And I've told you this, why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So if you want complete joy in life, obey God. That's what he's saying. And it sounds like a kind of upside down way of looking at things, but it is the true and correct way to look at things. That's the way it works. Mary said to the servants at the wedding when the wine had run out, didn't she? Do whatever he tells you, talking about Jesus. And then Jesus says, okay, guys, well, go and put some water in those enormous uh, flagons and uh, then pour it out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And they must have thought, what? Are you mad? That's crazy. He's going to go bananas if we serve water instead of wine. But they did it. And sometimes Jesus tells us to do what seem like crazy things. And that's what we have to do. We have to step out sometimes in obedience without knowing what's going to happen. At the conference that Andrew and I were at this just last week with the RM leaders, a prophetic word was given in the very first session that spoke to us so much, and I hope it helps you. And it was like this. So sometimes it's like we're a trapeze artists in the big top and you got hold of the bar and you're swinging and then God says, okay, I want you to let go. And you're trusting that there's another bar that is coming the other way that God sent that's going to come at just the right moment and as you fly through the air, you can catch it. And sometimes in our lives, it's like God calls us to obey him to something and say, okay, let go of bar number one, trusting that God, Bar number two is going to be there. And I guess that's the position we're in right now because we have agreed to sell to some people who are first-time buyers who will obviously want to move fairly soon. We don't have anything to go to. We're setting out on a journey knowing that God's called us to it, a bit like Abraham and Sarah had to. They set out not worrying where they were going. Actually, they did have an idea of the region or the locality, but they didn't know exactly where they were going. And I guess that's the same for us right now. So be ready. For some of you, God will call you and tell you to do things that seem a bit off the wall. You think, well, what? Are you sure? We're holding on to this bar, and I can't see the next bar coming towards me yet. Are you sure I need to let go? <laughs> uh, he might be calling some of you to some, some surprising stuff. Do whatever he tells you. Paul says elsewhere in... Acts chapter 20, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. And that's right where we are now. I trust that's what's in your heart too, 
But actually, in the end, bottom line, what you're here for on this earth is to serve God and his purposes. The work assigned to you, because he has assigned role for every single one of his people. He has stuff he wants you to be doing. Your job is to ask him what it is and then do it to the best of your ability with his grace. So that's obey him. Number four, uh, elevate him. Therefore, Jesus, verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's the will of the Father, isn't it? That Jesus be elevated. And the Holy Spirit elevates Jesus, as we said a few minutes ago. The Spirit will bring glory to him. How do we do that? We elevate him in our hearts by putting him first, by making sure that it's his glory that is our motive rather than our own. And that's challenging The reality is we all have mixed motives. We're fallen human creatures. We're on a journey from one degree of glory to another to become more and more like Jesus. But it is a challenge for us. It's a challenge for me. We recognize that. But it's a challenge that we're going to rise to, if you like. And so, Jesus, just keep helping us process so that we are putting your glory first and not our own. Elevate him in your hearts, in other words. Elevate him in your personal, private worship. The more you make a practice of acknowledging and honoring and worshipping him, however you choose to do that, and expressing his glory and honour in your own personal time with him, the more humility will grow as you see yourself in perspective in relation to him. And of course, elevate him in public worship as we want that to be an emphasis amongst us. And there's a particular, of course, responsibility on those involved with leading our song worship to to be bringing to us lots and lots of songs that are elevating Jesus and having that as our focus, as Bethany so beautifully did this morning. Elevate him. And then finally, communicate him. Communicate him, chapter 2, verse 15 that we read, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. NIV says, you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Our lifestyle communicates something, in other words, of Jesus and of who he is. And may he give us grace as he works in our hearts, giving us desire and power to imitate him then the more, the more and more that's happening, the more we will see him elevated. Um, communicate him with our lifestyle. But also, of course, communicate him with our, our words. Chapter 1, uh, Paul is giving a bit of a gospel update to the church in Philippi about what's happening. He says, well, because I'm in prison, loads of prisoners and staff have heard the good news, so he's been talking. And he says in verse 13, because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here, where he's writing, have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Maybe that's something that you need to ask God for more of. Confidence to speak on his behalf, to put in those words, to offer to pray for people, to take the opportunity that you can recognize is in front of you just to say something about your faith. It might not be to preach the entire gospel, but it might be to say something about your faith and who you're following that then may open up a conversation. You never know 
what God might do. That was one of the joys for Andrew and I of being away in the summer in our camper van for three months, was so many times we had opportunities to talk to people because we had a bit of time and they had a bit of time. And so when the opportunity presents itself, let's make sure we take it. Let's make sure we take it. You maybe need to ask God for more confidence so that you can do that. Let's be doing that as well. Let's pray together, shall we? Can I ask you to, to stand for a, moment, for a few moments as we come to pray and to respond to what God's been saying today? I just want you to ask you to just reflect before him on what he's been saying to you today. And uh, it will be different things for different people. And there may be a particular uh, area, if you like, of, uh, of response that you know God's kind of touching you on something. And I'll just, while Bethany plays a little, I'll just give you a little recap to help you. Is it that he's calling you to welcome him? It may be that you know that you're listening this morning or online and you've never actually welcomed him for the first time into your life. If that's you, then let me encourage you to, to be one that welcomes Jesus, that says to him, even now, Jesus, thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you're ready to forgive me if I will turn from all that's wrong, and I do that now. Thank you that you're ready to give me the power to live the life that you're calling me to. I commit myself to obeying you to doing what you say and to serving your purpose on the earth. So help me, God. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, then I'd ask you to come and talk to Al down the front here at the end of the meeting so that he can help you with others to know how to take the next steps. Maybe you're here and you're a believer and when I was talking about opening the door to his presence and to his spirit, you recognize that there's some challenge in that for you. That's not something that you find easy, perhaps, for whatever reason. So the invitation this morning, I believe the encouragement from God is to speak to him now in your heart and say, okay, Lord. And one of the ways you can do that will be just simply to put your hands out before him because I'm going to pray for us all in a minute. Just as a fresh invitation to the Holy Spirit to come into your heart. Maybe you, you know that he's speaking to you about humbling yourself. You can talk to him about that. Maybe he's been speaking to you about obeying him in particular things that you know you're struggling with. Then you need to make a decision and say to him, okay, God, I'm going to obey you. Maybe you need his grace, confidence to speak on his behalf. As we hold our hands out before him, I'll pray and ask God to come and do what you need him to do, what he wants to do. Jesus, thank you that you said it would be better for your disciples if you returned to the Father's right hand in heaven so that you could send your spirit. And we ask you again now, send your spirit again and empower us 
to live the lives you've called us to live. We open the door to our hearts and lives to you again. We say yes to you, Lord. Why would we say no? We say yes to you. Come and impart.